What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's a new year, and I have a new podcast here at The Ringer, Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi. Austin and I go way back and talk so much hoop already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on all of these conversations. Every week, Pasha and I will hit on the biggest stories happening in the league and get Austin's perspective of someone currently hooping in the NBA. Tap into Off Guard every Friday on The Ringer NBA Show feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you're prepared for your classic let dash down episode. No, Monday, it won't be. one of our best. A little bit of breaking news with Evan. Mathis. Thursday, whatever. I don't enough. Enough. <laughs> enough, with your, Monday, enough with your snark. Um, there's some interesting things today. It it's a frustrating position because there are some things I would like to really speak on today. Sure, but I don't know that I can. For I good, for legal reasons and for other reasons. So. Some of these will just be more general thoughts, but there are some interesting dynamics. Um, I don't want to say that there are some plates shifting in the hobby. That refers to tectonic continents. You're aware. Well, what was it called when all the seven continents were one? Pangea. Nice. Don't you, bro? Nice. You want to get on historical geography? Get on my level. What's all the right? capital of New Hampshire? Okay. Hartford. Yep. Nailed it. Yeah. You're good. I'm good at it. Um, so, yeah, there's some big stuff happening, though. 2023, we're going to see, I think, some major announcements and news from Fanatics. And not just basketball, baseball. Like, I, I think it's going to be a couple sports involved. So we'll get into some of that because there are some things happening that if you kind of read between the lines, I will preface it all. And just to be clear, did you get the clearance to say that? Like, can we can we talk about that? I'm, I am going to talk about simply the context clues that I'm seeing. Okay. Evan kept saying context <laughs> clues. I am going to hypotenuse, <laughs> hypothesize about some things I'm seeing. Mm. And then go from there. Okay. I'm excited. Um, Jesse is terrified, by the way. No, 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 no. I trust Jesse's, you. I can, let me tell you what happens after this episode is finished and I leave. Because as soon as we're done recording, I'm hey, walking out. Hey, Carlos, it's be a whole, yeah. cut everything Mike yep. said Minutes the whole one show. 1 through 37. I also have a, a baby appointment today with a doc. Mm. So I'm out of here quick. Is, um, is Hannah like in the office waiting? Is she in the car just waiting outside? No. Okay. Good to know. Um, we have a number of things to talk about. Besides that, we're going to talk NBA playoffs. There's a few updates uh, we're going to bring to you from Bleacher Breaks. We're going to talk an update from the Evan Mathis story, which I think that is going to be the most interesting one. And uh, some other things. We're, well, well you, you don't know what I'm going to say. Uh, the other thing is Rob from Burbank Cards. Rob Vares, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Burbank Sports Cards, also the Burbank Card Show. Uh, he is going to be joining us, and then we'll also have your new releases and your mailbag. Uh, I haven't had the pleasure in so long. Michael, do you mind? Big picture. Do well, now I can't do Perfect. it. Perfect. Are you going to hit it? <laughs> Push the button. No, I won't do it. Make those jimmies dance. All right, we can go ahead. All right, big, big picture. picture. There it is. There you go. Got it. setup could use a little help. Got it. I'm not in a position to coach you through All that right. today. So, no problem. Um 2023 baseball, we are going to see a major shift. Uh, the licensing deal for Fanatics kicks in this year. Okay. So what you see with Don Russ 2023, which comes out when? Billy Bean, when oh, I snap at you. This you week? Can, this this week? No, look it up if you can. 2023 Don <laughs> oh, Russ okay. baseball. Grab a release oh, date. Yeah. Um, if you notice, we talked about this just briefly last episode. Since then, I have been able to confirm with two sources now on both sides of the aisle, so to speak. 2023 Panini Baseball will feature retired players and prospects 
but not players who are currently in the MLBPA. This June second. June second. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Actually, pushed quite a bit further than I thought. So, what this means is the MLBPA, the Players Association deal with Fanatics, will be kicking in now. There was some uh, discrepancies, and some people just we, a lot of us, myself included, just were not clear. Does Panini own these rights through twenty three? Mm-hmm. Well, clearly no. That's why if you look at Don Russ, like we talked about, you see guys like Griffey, Ichiro, retired greats. Still no team logos, but there haven't been team logos on Panini Baseball in years. That's not a big issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now we are no longer going to see active players. Julio, Trout, all these guys who are active and part of the MLBPA will not be in Panini Baseball product going forward. Wait, so I thought other sports like or other companies say like uh, Leaf or no, Wild Leaf. Cards. I thought, did they not put out active players? So some of those guys like Wild Card has some exclusive deals or has some independent autograph deals with people. Like oh. I pulled the Herbert auto out of there. I pulled the Josh Allen. But, and I'm not even sure the legality of that. I have no idea how they're doing. But like with Leaf, for example, mm-hmm. no. Leaf makes prospects heavily and they make vet stuff. But not active players. But not active players. And there is some weird exception where you can make like one. I think you can use up to two in the PA. That at least was the existing deal. Okay. Going forward in 2023, I don't know what the deal looks like with Fanatics. Uh, again, we'd like to have somebody on from Fanatics and Panini to discuss what this means going forward and, and less, more specifics. However, this is obviously a major shift. Like you're not going to see rookie cards with Panini baseball anymore. Like Julio last year was huge. Wanda was massive. RPAs, all these things. Well, now, if you look at Don Russ, we have prospect stuff. We've got Jason Dominguez, and we've got uh, Jordan Walker, who at the time was not in the PA. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it looks like this is going to be the wave. This is the first major manufacturing product impact we're seeing of this Fanatics uh, licensing deal. Obviously, the deals happened over a year ago, a year and a half ago at this point. But now we're starting to see the effects in action of, hey, that's what this looks like. We definitely want to get Panini involved in this conversation. We got to keep reaching out and see if they'll say something. Because I would love to know if that... Oh, a thousand percent, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it just seems so interesting to be that they couldn't have a player that is currently playing. I thought that wasn't... I guess I thought there was a separate ruling on that because um, I know I have seen, like, metal... Or I'm sorry, not leaf metal, but um, Wildcard is putting out some cards right now sure. with players that are active. Because I was looking into it. I was like, yeah, they have. I mean, I had a Josh Allen or Herbert auto as of a month ago. So I know they do. I don't know how they do. I just know what I'm seeing with. Yeah. But I also don't know if there's an exclusive deal with the NFLPA with anybody. That's the difference here. Fanatics has an exclusive MLB Players Association deal. That's never been the case in these other sports. That's why it gets weird to me. Because before this, this was not completely, the, the PA deal was not completely exclusive. I don't think if Panini, I'm almost positive Panini, Panini, what, man, I hate the name of that company just for that. I can't sandwich, say it. Just say sandwich. I, sandwich never had a deal. <laughs> Hoagie, sub, wrap, oh. burrito, taco. Yep. Oh. Never had a deal with the PA, I, I don't believe. I know they have deals with the leagues. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they've ever had deals with the PAs before. I would love to get deeper oh, dive I, I into really, that. We, we reached yeah. out. I'm hoping on Thursday we have somebody join. But if this is the case... Then you're going to see, like, the next product, I believe, that comes out for Panini is 3-2. and two. Look that up, if you would. 2023 mm-hmm. Panini 3-2 and two baseball. Uh, obviously, first release last year was kind of in the same vein as Panini 1 with other products. Except with this, you got two encapsulated cards and a pack. But I'm guessing this is the same because the sales sheet that I saw was, like, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Griffey. Like, again, retired guys and then guys who were not in the PA yet. Jordan Lawler was on there. 
um, Tyler Sodstrom, the kid from the A's. I think it's the same deal. They do still have, Penny does still have three and two coming out uh, basically a week after at this so the point, 9th? June 9th. Okay. And then Panini Prism comes out the 21st. So. Because here's my fear. Like Panini Baseball. This just needs to be a sound clip of me struggling to say <laughs> that word. Obviously, certain SKUs have always struggled because there's no licensing. There was no team logos. It was a tough sell in the first place. But it does make some things very, very difficult. I actually don't care about three and two. I think three and two probably sells fine with or without because guys like prospects and guys will chase the vets. I feel the same way, by the way, about flawless. I'm actually still all in on flawless, yeah, immaculate, national treasures. I'm good with all of those. But the the ones that are much more current, like optic and prism, without any current players, I do wonder if we see these guys take a step back from as many skews as they've had in the past because I think some of those are going to be really, really tough sells. The, I will say the product highlights, just to reiterate, uh, for three and two, does say similar. It says, look for a variety of soon-to-be stars and former greats. Yeah, so I think you're talking retired players and prospects. Interesting. That's okay. wild. So, like, no, and what's amazing too, by the way, is nobody is talking about this a anywhere. I've I've yet to hear any of this talk, speculation, anything, but it is coming. And guys, there, there is the contingent who will say, "Well, yeah, but who cares about Panini baseball?" Anyways, a lot of people. There's still, yeah, dude. We ripped a, we rip a ton every year of Panini baseball. This is a major, major shift. The the fact that other teams, or I'm sorry, other companies have made baseball or basketball and football products. That would indicate that there's some kind of difference in the licensing agreement, I assume, with the PAs. I have no idea. I really don't know enough to speak on yeah. it. There must Man. be something because I know Wildcard, like you said, and even Onyx makes some yeah, of those as yeah. well. But I, I have no clue. I just know what I'm seeing this year from Panini. Okay. The other thing that was interesting, and again, I'm not going to say anything more than what we've seen on social media at this point. Uh, Coach Co posted about this. Um, piece of the game memorabilia. There was like four or five guys who started tweeting and, and putting us on Instagram. They released a picture of Victor Winbanyama, an autograph card on the brand new product called Bowman Inception University. I think it's an on-card auto. That's savage. First of all, Bowman Inception University, this will be the first year, the Inception year of Inception. Mm. A dream within a dream. How did they do that? Is Leo involved? Is no? her name Maul? Yeah. Is her name? Maul. Maul. You got it. You want to watch it later? What are you doing after this? Cancel that baby appointment. I'll tell you what I'm not doing after this. Not watching this? Um, I'm not with you anyway. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to um, watch it and it's not with yeah. you. <laughs> I mean, it's commitment. Like, yeah. literally threw herself off a building to prove she wasn't dreaming. Like, good on her. Yeah, but she she wasn't dreaming and she died. She had to psych Oh my goodness, though. I am so sorry. Spoiler alert. No, you're not allowed Go to... Go back and... How old is that movie now, do you think? It's, Hang on. Without, mm, Carlos, get on here right now without looking. <laughs> How old is Inception? I'm going to say it's nine years old. I'm saying 2014. What, what are you saying? I would guess 2012. Ooh, you? Are we? Uh, that's funny you said 2012. That's what I was thinking as well. It's not that funny. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say 2013. I already said that. You said 14? Yep. Oh, fine, I'll take 13. All right, go ahead. Find the number. We'll oh, wait while wow. you do. Wow. 2012. 13 years. 2010? Wow. Yeah. I that's win. disgusting. I win. We're old, dude. Interesting. It's gross. So, Inception. What does she have to do with um, <laughs> the the products? Is, is Leo in this product? <laughs> yeah. So, Bowman Inception University, Winbanyama Autos. That's pretty huge. Like, that's a major, major thing. Again, we heard a couple, what was it, a month ago, two months ago, Fanatic saying, hey, we're going to start making basketball cards. Mm -hmm. And again, they, some people made a big deal out of this. My whole thing was they can't make NBA product yet because Panini has that license. Yes. 
well, this is kind of the exact same, but opposite. They are now, they're doing what Panini is going to do in basketball, but what Panini is doing in baseball. So they're going to make basketball cards, although they do have logos. It's like his, I believe he's on a French team. It has the oh, team. Oh, the logo, but not the NBA logo, of right, course. Right, he's not an yeah. NBA, right. Yeah, yeah. But even still, like this kid, I mean, you listen to draft guys talk now. Like, hey, if it was, it flashback to, oh, to 2003 or bring LeBron up 20 years, and these are the same two players in the same draft, and it's a toss-up of who you would take right now. Not often you get comparisons to the to, to James. Like, it just doesn't happen. Yeah, sure. So I am curious. I mean, I actually pulled up some stuff. We're not going to do it today. We don't have time. We'll do it on Thursday of like, hey, number one picks over the past 20 years. But the fact that there is that much of a comparison to LeBron, this kid's like 7'3". He can handle. He shoots like Klay Thompson. You know, it, it is interesting. But he is a big man, though. I mean, that's historically. But he plays a wing, but he doesn't play a big man position. He's not yeah, a center or a power forward. He's going to be a three. I mean, it's, it, it's oh. kind of ridiculous. It's almost like Giannis with a jumper. So interesting. Um, okay. My next thing is totally made up. I don't, I haven't spoken oh. to anybody about this. I don't know anything, but I am really curious now. The fact that this kid is signing in a fanatics product, mm -hmm. top, a tops product. So Bowman, Bowman is tops, tops is fanatics. Is when Benyama going to be in Panini product in 2023? couple years ago, we had this. So in 2000... you say if he's going to be in the is he product? Gonna, is he going to sign in those products? Oh. Because here's why I asked this. A couple years ago, we had the same situation with the number one pick. 2016, a historically brutal draft class. Mm -hmm. Ben Simmons was the guy coming out, but he had an upper deck exclusive. And before anything Panini released, mm -hmm. this kid had autos an upper deck product. Interesting. I am saying we're seeing the same pattern right now. When Benyama is this unbelievable phenom... And before yeah. anything Panini, anything sandwich gets released, we're seeing this kid in autograph have autographs on card with another company. Ooh, that's speculation right there. That is, and again, that's just a that is just a total speculative, like whatever. But the fact that we're seeing him all over the place, and again, that's why I want to talk. I wasn't going to break that news, but the sure. fact that people are have already posted those pictures and images, it's everywhere now. That is pretty wild. Yeah, and oh, like of man. all years. Like of all years to grab a number one guy and get a deal. But there's other guys that are still hot. There's still people are excited about in next year's class though, right? I mean, that the speculation that I've heard is that next year's class is good, Wimbignana being Wimbignana being number one, but there's others. Are there not? I mean, there was other guys getting drafted. But I, you oh really? I, I think it may be a good class. I haven't spent nearly enough time. The draft's in a couple of weeks. I, I haven't wasted much time. I don't follow any college sports, so I don't care. Okay. I only follow Anything non-pro, I only follow to see what they'll do in the hobby. Yeah. And and you might be right. Like, maybe it'll be the greatest second pick of all time. But this is a Victor class. Like, it is him, 19 miles of separation, and the next guy, in terms of hobby value. Yeah. Like, it's not close. Hmm. Okay. You know? But then again, that happened with LeBron, too. It was LeBron. Next guy just happened to be Dwayne Wade. Now, Dwayne Wade is great. He is not anywhere near the value of LeBron. Like, he hit sure. 10%, maybe. And a lot of times, not even that high. So I, I don't know. I know it is supposed to be a deep class, um, but we'll see. But yeah, I, I'm just curious to see how that plays out. So okay. that's your speculative speculative moment with Mike. Um, you want to talk a little NBA playoffs then? I only want to talk about the Western Conference. <laughs> we we got to talk about anything like... Why don't you want to talk about the West? Okay, why? Go, go ahead. Western Conference Hobby Dream. Can you tell me the four teams in the Western Conference right now without looking? Oh, without looking, Lakers. Yep. Uh, Who are they Warriors. Playing? Yep. Um, Come on. Uh, Scully, it's huge. 
It's filled with something. Don't look, I'm I look said you don't. Nuggets. Who are they playing? They're playing the Suns. Well, you just look good. Okay. No, I didn't so, look on the last So one. those four teams, right? Yeah. LA has who? Name LA's two top stars. Uh, Kawhi. No, not. I'm sorry. AD and um, uh, LeBron. <laughs> I was great as you were. Here's the thing. That sounded so unintelligent. I thought you, I think people are going to think you were joking. That Well, <laughs> the reason. Okay. I have no it's okay. excuse. It's, I got but, but again, it right. LeBron though. and AD, right? I got that right. Two monsters. LeBron is the, the reigning king of hobby value in the sport. Mm -hmm. AD, when he's right, is a massive name in the hobby as well. Both are historically way, way down. Who are they playing? They're the playing Warriors. the Warriors. Give me Warriors top two. Uh, Curry and Wiggins? Clay, right. You yep. nailed Clay, it. Clay, yeah. Pool. Again. Got it. Not pool. No. No. Nope. Uh, Clay Thompson, way, way down Clay right Thompson, now. Coming yeah. off the injury, his price has never really rebounded. Steph Curry on that LeBron Rushmore of modern players type level. But even his stuff from historic highs a year and a half ago, way, way down, right? You get those. So th that's your first well, matchup. To be fair, Curry is doing pretty decently right now. Like his, oh, he, his pricing has turned around as far as like there have been, he's an all-time great. I think that's already solidified. However, as of the last month, he's actually started to turn upwards. Uh, right, but I'm saying uh, pricing at the end of 2020, early 2021, he's not that close. Sure. That's okay. my point. Yeah, so yeah, historic, yeah. historically. So that's your first matchup, right? One of those two teams is going to win and go to the Western Conference Finals. Mm -hmm. Great. Next matchup, the Nuggets versus the Suns. Who plays on the Nuggets? Jesse Rhodes. Uh, don't please don't use my middle name. No one needs Jesse to know Rhodes it. Gibson lives at on the Nuggets. It's Joker and then other people. Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray. Yes. Jamal Murray. Fantastic buy right now. By the way, coming off the injury, he is back to being playoff Jamal. There's something about if your name starts with a J, playoff Jimmy, playoff Jamal. Ridiculous. Whoa. Joker. By the way, last night puts up like fifty three, two or fifty three. Ridiculous yeah. game. Two MVPs. What's the one knock on Joker right now? Uh, he wanted to kill the Suns owner. No, um, that's not a knock. <laughs> he, it's a compliment. Uh, he is a big man. Is that what you're referring uh, to? Similar, but he has all the regular season accolades. He's won back-to-back -back MVPs. MVPs. He has some of the best PER ratings in the history of the game, yet not a lot of postseason success. Okay. So two huge names there as well. Yes. Playing the Suns, who have what? Two big players? You could actually say three. Uh, Durant. Yep. Um, they've got Paul. Chris Paul. And then, oh, but the other one's the second biggest. Rhymes with Smevin Nooker. Don't. Booker. Yep. KD stuff is, I mean, again, there's been a little bit of a rebound, but again, he is so far down from a year and a half ago, it's ridiculous. Chris Paul has kind of always stayed stagnant because even though he's great, again, never the postseason success for a top five at his position. I don't have him there, but other people do. Fair. And Devin Booker, another guy who kind of fell off a cliff since they got knocked out of the playoffs last year. He has just kind of been been down since. My point being, this is a dream hobby scenario in the West. No matter what two teams win, those two series, we're going to have a Western Conference Finals that is loaded with star power, mm -hmm. and then we're going to have a powerhouse come out of the West, and no matter which of the four it is, it's a major, major positive impact for the hobby. Now, don't you see, or, or do you not feel like the fact that there's so many, no one's running away with any of the series, right? Like which is great. at this point. It, and that's my point is that it seems like no matter what side, Western or Eastern conference, they're all doing what's best for the hobby, which is letting the, their, their fans, their individual fans of whoever the player is continue to build up value in that guy because he's still in it. Yeah. But Miami and New York don't have anywhere near the hobby impact that the other ones have. But Celtics. Oh, that's different. Sixers. Sure. But it's again, what if Miami and New York comes out of the East? 
Yeah. That's the difference. The, the West. Do you think that's a possibility, though, at this point? I am done betting against Jimmy in the playoffs. Okay. If you told me Miami's coming out, I'd be fine. Because yeah. I think at some point Philly chokes. Quite frankly, I love Jason Tatum, but he played, well, he didn't score in the first half until like a minute left. And even in the second half, he was very good at other things, but he was unbelievably indecisive at the end of that game. But I'm the no, team as a whole does well. Like that's my thing. My thinking is sure, but as he, a whole, the, the Celtics seem to perform very well and they don't, I don't know. Like if you look at their stats, there's, I think, what was it? Seven of their players had double digit points in that game. I mean, yeah, they lost the game though. And you, you didn't even get a shot off at the end. That was, that was just stupid. Like they wasted way too much time at the very end. But again, that's, that's my point though. Like I, but is that coaching? Not like necessarily a little bit of both. They had timeouts at the end too, but, but you're telling me Jason Tatum is hyped up as a potential top five player in the league twice at the end of games, end of regulation and the end of overtime. Mm -hmm. He doesn't take the shot. At some point I I'm living and dying with my star taking the shot. Yeah. Overall point though is I don't love, I, I hate Philly anyways, but yeah, Philly or Boston coming out of the East shore, that would be a good thing for the hobby. But there's a lose scenario if it's Miami or New York. Again, just for the hobby. But you go out west, there is no bad team, for, for hobby's sake at least. Yeah. Okay. Either either Durant, LeBron, Curry, one of the old heads, gets this unbelievable resurgence. Although Curry, not as much because he's already there. But KD, that would be incredible. Even Chris Paul in that scenario. Or, hey, Joker, uh, now he has two MVPs, some unbelievable statistical seasons, and a finals appearance and or win. Now he's a top 20 guy all time. Jamal Murray, out of nowhere, hobby obscurity six months ago because of the injury, comes back, plays amazing, gets a championship. Like there's some, Anthony Davis leads the Lakers to a champion. Like there are some awesome, awesome takeover hobby lines in the NBA that happen in the Western Conference. I will say that Jamal Murray does seem like a really good opportunity to buy because of this huge swings, his value. So I'm looking at his 2016 Prism PSA 10. That card has several times now been $50 and below over the last two weeks, but then it jumps like to several times at $90 and above. So it's like, I think if you can get one of these like opportunities where it's down at 50, I mean, you're almost doubling your money. It just seems like there's a number of guys that aren't the big name ones like, um, uh, not Jalen Brunson. I think it was Julius Randle mm -hmm. is doing something similar to that. His card was just $27, $31, then multiple times selling at $50. Just these huge jumps that, I don't know. I think that if you think these smaller guys on these teams that are doing well are going to continue to move forward in the playoffs, it will continue to do that back and forth and give you a really nice margin to be able to flip a card. Could be. Yeah, I, I don't trust the small guys as much, but I, yeah, but there, there could be some some staying power there for sure. Although I love the Jamal Mari play. So, okay. Um, as far as the big guys go, we got this question before any opportunity to get in on Curry, to get in on LeBron, any, I mean, those are obviously your two biggest as far as pricing goes, but they continue to go up at this moment in time. Would you suggest any card or any like look to any card besides you know, maybe the the big $1,000 cards. I was looking specifically 2019 Prism LeBron James, for example. Oh, no. I wouldn't touch that card. Well, the reason I say that is because there's $13,000 or 13,000 cards graded as a PSA 10. So there's tons of pop. That card continues to bounce back and forth between, I mean, some of them go down further. But let's say 
$20 and about $35. So the bounce back and forth just gives, again, another big room for margin. And if you think he's an all-time great anyway, I mean, these cards are six, I mean, 16 bucks right now is the last one that sold. You could get that card for pretty cheap, still have a all-time great on your hands where you're not going to have to worry about a ton of value loss, but have a decent upside. I don't know. That's my thought is like there, there's some pretty good flipping opportunities with some of these bigger names. If you're going after smaller cards, like less well-known cards, uh, less yeah, rookie card. I mean, if you're talking just to flip, if you can buy those super cheap, I, I guess like go for it. But yeah, I'm not looking to buy a 16 year LeBron prism card. Not with a 13,000 pop. What's the point? Okay. Yeah. I mean, and even then, so say you buy it for 16, 18 bucks, you sell it for 30 after fees and shipping. What are you at? Well, 22, 23 bucks. My overall thought is this is really good for guys who are going to card shows and things like that, because obviously there's not going to, you don't have to worry about half that stuff. Yeah, that's true. Okay. In-person so, sales. And maybe. a lot of it, like to you and I, like people who have, we have maybe a more refined taste as far as like, we don't care as much about the thing that's not as rare, but there's still tons of kids that want a LeBron James card and they can't afford like any of his bigger name stuff. Yeah. You know I, what I mean? I do. I just, I, even then I think there's still a real reason to be selective. Like there's a real disdain for prison base right now, still in the hobby. It's well, overproduced. And it doesn't have to be prison based. That's just a, the example I pulled out. But I mean, even the silver, you could go for a hundred bucks. That card's been jumping back and forth, like between 75 and then 115. I mean, that's again, another opportunity, but it, it just makes me think if you're not going after the rookie cards, there is some opportunity to get some of these, whether it's for your own personal collection or a flip. Yeah. And I mean, he has a, I, I'm just trying to look, I think that series is two, one right now. I think it's the only one that's not tied. Well, that's not true. These there's two there. Uh, yeah. Miami's two, one. up two, one as well. Yep. Yeah. That's two, one. It's in LA tonight. Yeah. I'd wait and see, but I mean, if they win, they're not losing, you know, you're not coming back three, one. So Ooh. it's a weird, I'm telling you, it's going to be wild. And they're going in as the eighth seed. Like, say whatever you want about LeBron. The dude's 37, 38 years old playing like this, leading his team to potentially a Western Conference Finals. Pretty amazing. I thought so. LeBron was younger than us. No, he's older. All right. That brings us to our guest, Rob Varis from, uh, it's called Burbank Sports Cards, right? That's the name of your card show? Yes, it is. Burbank Sports has been for 34 years. <laughs> Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. How did you get started in the sports card industry? I think your name is pretty well known just for the, your shop alone. But yeah, tell us a little bit about how you got into this. I've uh, been a collector since six, seven years old, back in the early 70s. Um, went to work in a coin and stamp shop that I used to haunt all the time because I collected coins and stamps. And uh, they put me to work delivering flyers a penny a car, two cents a house, um, made a little money, and then they trusted me, they liked me, and they put me to work behind the counter. This is 1979, 1980. And uh, as a kid, worked there for about 10 years or so, and then the family bought the business in 1989 and run it ever since. So your family bought the business, is that right? Yeah, humble beginnings back then, yes. Very cool. Very cool. So at this point, you own the card shop. What motivated you to uh, expand into card shows now? Because you, 
you're putting on the Burbank card show, right? Are you the, are you the sole, uh, I guess, owner or, or person who puts that show on? Or are you partnered no, with people? They're a three headed monster. I'm more the brand, the face of it more than anything else. Um, I've got guys that both run card shows in Southern California, EJ, um, and Jay, Jay runs, I think three different shows here. Um, smaller shows, but they know the ins and outs of the business. And to be honest, I have zero time in my world for that. I mostly just get on the big Zoom calls and such, but the day-to-day grind is on them. Nice. Okay, cool. So at this point, how big is the card show? Uh, We've had two. Um, The last one was 70,000 feet at the Ontario Convention Center. Um, This next one, I'm not sure if we bit off more than we can chew, to be honest with you. I, I have no idea but it's going to be 200,000 feet at probably the nicest facility and the best location. You know, the industry can have it. It's going to be the Anaheim Convention Center. It's 200,000 square feet, and it's August 30th through September 3rd. Wow. How how many tables is that? Uh, We're looking at about 900 tables, but we're also looking a lot uh, bigger corporate um, activations and such. So, um, that's the game plan. And we haven't really started marketing it yet. We're still getting the nuts and bolts figured out on the back end. And then we'll make the marketing push. And uh, it's a beautiful facility. It was built in 2017. It's not the old convention center. It's right next door. And it's beautiful. And uh, I think it's something that we'll be doing yearly there. And we'll be doing uh, Ontario yearly as well. Um, one in Ontario will be Q1. We're getting the whole convention center next time, not just the main room. This this show from a few other guys have asked, they reached out specifically because we do a lot of interviews and have guests on that come a lot from the East Coast. The West Coast is not something that we, we don't have a ton of context out there typically that we have on the show, but the the national, a lot of people have said before, oh, that's like an East Coast show. Are you trying to, like, is the Burbank Card Show trying to be, like, the national for the West Coast guys? No, we're trying to be the Burbank Show for the for the world. Okay. Um, <laughs> no interest in being the national. Um, that's got 43 years run up. It's something that, you know, my third or fourth or fifth show, we're not going to be able to replicate. But I do believe Southern California is the best market in the country. I believe it to be fact. I believe that we're the co- closest point to the Pacific Rim, where there's so much interest and so much money. And we're a great destination point. Uh, Atlantic City, um, you know, Rosemont, um, Cleveland. I don't think those cities match up with coming to Southern California and literally Disneyland being literally across the street. And uh, I think it's an underserved market. We haven't had a national since 2006. And that was kind of the thought process during COVID is, why is everybody going to Dallas and spending $800 between airfare and hotels just to go to a card show? Because that evaporates from the industry. And I wasn't interested in doing anything big. I'm like, we could do something because there's nothing in LA. And it just morphed and my partners keep saying, we can do this. And I'm like, are you crazy? You know, the, the money involved, the size of these spaces. And they talked me into 200,000 square feet. So we'll see how it all goes. So, Rob, I, I'm curious, too, about the Toronto show, because Toronto, you know, obviously the Canadian market, at least in my opinion, has been like hugely untapped. Like you listen to guys in Canada, collectors and dealers, and there just hasn't been like that uniting force to bring them together. But I had a bunch of buddies go to the, the last Toronto show and they I mean, they bragged up and down about the experience. 
So what what have you found to be like, what's that Toronto show like for us in the States who haven't been up there? Oh, I haven't been up there since 2000. I've only been there once. Um, and it was explained to me that it was 95% hockey. And I was going up there, I was doing seminars for Upper Deck back then. And I did one over there and uh, they lied. It was like 98% hockey. It was, <laughs> it was nothing but hockey cards as far as the eye could see. I saw the lines. I saw the people. Ray Schulte put a lot of good content online and I was floored. You know, I know Canada is just an amazing market. But again, it's always in the same city. I don't know how Western Canada, if they have anything, um, or if everybody in Canada all travels all the way to Toronto. Um, but that's an amazing show. I've met their um, promoter before. Super nice guy. Um, it's great to see them having a show of that size and scale. Because I don't think any other country has anything like that outside the U.S. Now, uh someone who has their own card shop, you probably have a pretty decent idea for what the, a pulse for what the hobby is doing right now, as far as, you know, if, it, if it's healthy, if there's a good amount of new people, new blood coming in, what is your overall take on the status of the hobby? I hashtag 2023 in every single one of my posts. I think it's the biggest year yet for our business. I think our store traffic, you follow me on IG. I'll probably put a post at like 11.45 this morning of just how many people are in the store. Um, it doesn't matter what time of day, what day of the week, we're just busy. And I think the problem with a lot of people and what they're seeing from their eyes is um, they're not putting in the effort. Easy money has gone away. It, now it's on the grind. Fanatics is going to take a lot of easy money off of the table. Um, and it's going to be a lot more like 2019 backwards. It's going to be are you doing the work? Are you providing liquidity? Are you able to process cards? Do you have organized displays, web businesses? Um, people aren't breaking as much. People aren't ripping as much product. We can be packed in the store, but it's not people ripping product. It's people looking at our 41 showcases and all of our shelves of singles. There's a huge um, flip going on right now. And most dealers or black box guys aren't built to handle it. And it's only going to get more that way as people get more comfortable buying off a fanatic site because nobody can compete with a company that produces cards and sells cards on their own. So people need to get used to the fact that we need to make the market on what's in those boxes more so than what's in the sealed boxes. And that's hard. And I, we're built for that. Your and you guys are specifically built for that because your shop when we were in there, I think you it's guys 40 were forty million. Yeah, wasn't it like forty million cards? Are you still sixty million? Something are you ridiculous. still around that, or have you grown or shrunk, or how's that going? We're about the same because we sell so much stuff, and um, literally, if I'm not talking to you this morning, I'm pounding on singles. Um, yeah, our order volume has never been higher. Um, you know, it's people. That I call them the silent majority. And we don't have podcasts with these people. They're not screaming from the rooftops, you know, when a breaker hits this. They're just people that collect cards. They've always collected cards. They've never changed their buying habits. And it's the problem is very few people are geared to deal with them. And that's the niche that we fill. And, you know, you come into my store and you walk around and you're just floored that people still collect cards. It's not talked about. I don't know how many 
podcast you have about strictly collecting and the people that provide those services. But I guarantee it's not as much as you talking to the breakers and the industry influencers and things like that. Because those guys go away. Five years from now, I'd love to see the list of people that were here today and who were there in 2028. And I guarantee it's going to be jarring because they're not going to be able to adapt to the new marketplace. That's going to be very heavily collector-driven. So do you see a lot of like young collectors coming into your, sh- into your shop? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they've just gotten smarter. You know, there's 60 to $80 they used to spend on a blaster to get smoked. Now is going towards singles. Now they're gravitating towards their favorite players. They're gravitating towards value slabs that are between 5 and $20. And the parents like that a lot more. You know, they buy blasters, the kid rips it in the store, and there's nothing in it. And it's like, it, it, and now we try to point people towards collecting and the enjoyment and walking out of here with something they're going to enjoy looking at instead of, you know, it's just the unopened product. The ROI is so awful that, um, especially the kids, you know, we're trying to feed them towards the collector mentality and they'll stay around a hell of a lot longer because all it takes is a couple of bad experiences for the, the parents to say, why am I digging my credit cards on this stuff that doesn't have anything my kids want? And they look on eBay and the value just isn't there. Um, so that's my thought process. I think it's incredibly healthy, not just to get the kids into the business, but to keep them away from the breaking and gambling aspects and put them into the collecting aspects. I'll be honest. You are the first card. I mean, I say card guy in a very general term, but like the first card shop owner, first person who makes money on cards, who has not been very pro buying wax and ripping of wax, like especially in your card shop. So do you, do you want people to come in and buy uh, their wax from you? Of course. You just want to be able to give them options. And um, we stock a tremendous amount of unopened products in here. You come in to me and you ask, what should I buy? It's not going to be unopened products. I'm different. I'm the tuba player that goes the wrong way. But we've been able to scale our business incredibly Every single day, there's something new in this place. And that's because we don't look at things quarter by quarter and year by year. You look at things decade by decade. And we've seen everything. And the collector never goes away. And it's just, I don't build the place on gambling. If you want to do it, we will supply it. But our business is really built for the collector. And I think that that's what's going to keep businesses in business, especially as we go forward. And a lot of that easy money with products, I call it the low-hanging fruit. Anybody can buy for X, mark it up 25% and sell it. Um, but to be a true retailer in this business, you need to go well beyond that. And people, I think, are starting to recognize that, especially as allocations are going to be slim to none. Um, in a lot of cases, if you don't have another way of selling cards, you're going to be looking for another job. So what do you... I agree. What are you trying to do to make money to make? Because obviously your focus is going to be on singles. You, are you, do you have guys going out looking for good deals on singles just to, you know, buy them up and then make a little margin selling them in the shop? Or, you know, like what's the game plan on how you get the card, then sell the card so you can still make money? If you follow my IG, you'll see that we have a line of people to sell us cards. You come in our store, you put your name on a list. That list can be 50 people long by the end of the day. I got three people generally that buy cards at, at the same time. 
Um, you know, and it's, it could be a black box of slabs. It could be eight triple shoes. We don't know, need to go anywhere. It all comes to us because we provide liquidity. And that's the word that, again, there's a lot of things that aren't talked about that I talk about constantly. You walk into a card shop and you got three triple shoes and stuff. Are they going to help you out? All card shops are known for now, these days is just pushing product, pushing product. Um, you can't just keep dinging people's credit cards in this business. You need to be able to consume things back process them and get them into the hands of people that want them and provide store credit, provide cash. It, again, this industry is not going to survive and thrive unless there's a way for people to get out of the stuff from all the shit, that, the stuff that they're ripping and be able to put that into something else. They can't just keep building up triple shoes of stuff they don't want. Um, we want the stuff. We have ways to sell it. And I think that is a huge problem. But come into my store 11.45 today, and you're going to see 12 people waiting to sell us cards. So we don't have... I go to the National. I used to buy pallets. Literally pallets of cards, buying boots. I go to the National. I don't buy a damn card. I'm just there to socialize, meet and greet, do business, um, but not to buy anything because I want to be on my side of the counter. And every shop has this huge competitive advantage for buying merchandise. I always say this, and I know I ramble here, but just stick with me here. My customers are my distributors. And that's the way I look at it. They come in with product that we can process and sell for a profit, but not just that. Create the stickiness with our customer where we're able to show them exactly what we bought, exactly what's going out. And if you follow me on IG, you'll see we do reels like constantly all day long where I'm doing 50 graded cards in a minute. And they can see this is stuff that we bought this morning that's going out this afternoon. And we'll tell you exactly where it's going in the shop. And that's why buying is so critical. So people always know things are fresh. You go into a shop and it's always the same stuff in the showcases. What is the motivation to go back there regularly? We get people in here two, three times a week, every single week. And they plan their lights around going to Burbank. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I'll I'll say your take on a lot of this stuff is a lot different than what I would have expected. Um, I I do have, I guess, some thoughts about the people coming in and selling their cards to you guys because it does make me think, well, these guys, it would sound like they are the ones who are then taking the risk and then being, you know, they're not getting that ROI. So then they take what they do have and come and sell it to you. I assume that you'd have to be buying it at, say, 70, 80% comps. And then so you can turn around and sell it for some kind of profit. Would that be the general course of action, would you say? Oh, it depends how liquid things are. Paying 80% of comps as a retail store with the overhead that you do have, the card needs to be like literally priced and put it out, sell it. 70% um, is where a lot of stuff falls into. And some stuff's less than that. I mean, some stuff you're going to die with. Some stuff you know that the latest comp is because two people wanted it. Not the next comp might be only because one person or because there's just more of that card in the marketplace because everyone's ripping 23 Bowman. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like a, a week later, there's a lot more stuff. And as a dealer, you need to be able to move things quickly. You can't sit in your office for a week. Certainly, you need to be able to buy it and sell it at the same market. Um, and if someone comes in with triple shoes, it's really just a matter of eyeballing it and throwing a number to it. You can't go through every single card. Um, so we do our best. Our success rate is huge as far as buying things. Um, sometimes you just can't make a deal. Sometimes a customer expectation 
is too high or your, your, your want is too low. A lot of people bring the same stuff over and over and over again. So it's hard to consume a lot of that if the stuff's not liquid. Um, but, you know, it's, it's better to make an offer than no offer at all. The worst offer you can make is no offer. Yeah. So Rob, I, I am curious too, to that point too, because again, I've been, I've been around like, and I actually agree with your point. We have seen like in the last two, three years, uh, there's been an explosion of people, but I also think we've had the most uneducated people more uneducated in the card world. I'm not knocking their intelligence, although there are plenty of dummies, <laughs> but I do think we've had more unintelligent card people come in. And what I mean by that is there used to be like some hallmarks, like, hey, around January, February, we start buying baseball because the season's about to ramp up. You know, August, and let's start loading up on football. And it seems like for a while there, we got away from that. At least on my side of the world, it's it does seem like we're kind of getting back to the norms. And, and one of the norms being like NBA playoffs right now are hot. So the NBA market is rising like it should. Um, baseball is hot because we're in the swing of things. I'm just kind of curious to get your take on the, I don't even know if that's a word, the cyclicalness of the buying cycle. Are you, are you starting to see things kind of get back to that normal cycle like we used to see? Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. It's not as willy-nilly as it was Wild West 2020. A lot of people came into this business that their only education was coming from the loudest voices. <clears throat> Guaranteed. Um, <laughs> oh, what a donkey. You, <laughs> oh, yeah. They got a lot of bad info. Absolutely. Everything needs to be did. Um, the ripping the product. Um, and then you had all this artificial inflation into the product where everything was 3X, 4X coming out. And the only people that won were the distributors and the manufacturers who lost the end user. A lot of misinformation, a lot of dealers taking bulk subs in when most of those cards had never been graded in the first place. And cyclical nature, it was just whatever they could get their hands on product-wise. It didn't matter what time of year it was or what sport, they just figured opening it, ripping it, grading it, you know, was this easy solution to everything. But people are a lot more educated now. And it's it they haven't fallen into these traps that a lot of people set up for them. And uh it's getting it is normalizing to back where it was 2019 and prior. Whereas before it was just people throwing money at a dartboard, not caring. Um now it's yeah, the seasons and the sports make a big difference now than they yeah, did. Um, which I think is good, by the way. Like, I, I mean, yeah, I loved when everything literally just 10X'd in 2020. Like you could pick any card and it didn't matter. But I also was like, well, that's great for the time being, but long-term, we're going to lose a lot of these new people. We'll still be a little higher than we were, but it is true now. If you can just have things just, just organically grow in a sustainable way, kind of to your point earlier, it does obviously make for a more long-term hobby. You're, you're a thousand percent on that. And, uh, we lost that first wave that came in, where they came in guns blazing, um, and we lost them. There was just, you know, packs of top loaders that were going for $10 and blasters yeah. for $100 and all those things. And we lost a lot of people from that wave. We even lost a lot of people from the second wave. I believe we're in the third wave right now. And we need to be a lot more careful with the customers as an industry. And that's why I've always done what I've done. and. It usually goes against all norms, but I have enough experience to know what's sustainable in the industry. And I'm not a ghost. I'm not just some guy online or some random breaker. That's a lot different. I've got to answer things within my four walls. And I think that that is critical. Most of these folks don't have face-to-face -face interactions with these people. It's easier for them to get away from things because there's really no personal 
ramifications of such things. And we've always tried to do things the right way here. And we've, it's this third wave. I mean, fanatics bought into this thing during midway through the second wave. And now things have normalized. Prices basically are where they belong. A lot of people don't like it because you can't just 2X and 3X. They need to learn how to 25% and 35% things. And it's tougher to make a living doing that. And um, it's going to be interesting, especially when you're getting lower allocations and you're having to go back to the market immediately and buy product where you're competing against everyone. So that bigger allocation with those bigger margins, people got used to that, getting a little fat on those things. Now you're going to have to work for it. Now you're going to have to earn it. And now you're competing against a company that wants to be the everything company. They don't want to just make it. They want to distribute all different ways. And I'm down with it. I love it. I think that that's going to help normalize the business. And I think it's going to bring in a lot of eyeballs um, that this third and even fourth wave that I'm anticipating in the next two years. And they're going to be a lot more educated. And so, which I think is a good thing. Because so there was a lot, of, a lot of people made money way too easily in the last couple of years at the expense of people that they didn't really have any regard for. And that that's changing right now. With the fact that you feel we're going into these new waves, but it sounds like in the prior waves, we've been losing people in the hobby. You've been in this long enough to, to see a lot of trends. If we continue to go at this clip, how do we reach that 10x number that Michael Rubin talks about, you know, at Fanatics, about the population of this hobby growing to 10x? Is that actually something attainable? And if so, it doesn't sound like it could happen anytime soon to sustain a stable hobby or a healthy hobby. What do you think? Michael was in here a couple of weeks ago and I had some nice conversations with him. Very intelligent guy, very passionate guy. Um, somebody that I had a couple of hedge funds come through here um, about 18 months ago, two years ago. Rob, what's the play if we want to put a billion dollars into this? And I said, it's the licenses and they're not available. If you don't have the license, you are um, you have to answer to someone else and there's no way to make the kind of money you want to make. Um, Fanatics getting the license was the best outcome if somebody was going to get the license because no company's better situated to turn sports fans into sports card collectors. Um, so to me, that's amazing. And whatever they're doing and marketing and whole, that all, it's all secondary to the fact that they can turn these people. 10X is a big number. I don't think it's possible. Um, 3x, yeah, yeah. I think in the next three to five years, I think that's possible. But then again, they bought the licenses for 20 years. They're thinking in decades, not quarters, and not years. And who's not to say that in 20 years you can make those numbers, but it's got to be international. It's not possible just in the States. And international is soccer. International is the other sports, non-sports, everything else. Um, but in the States, core four or five sports, I don't see it um, unless he gets a, a big enough international reach and that their marketing muscle, which you still haven't seen a whole lot of on television yet, um, gets larger. But I have a lot of confidence and faith. And even if he 2Xs it, my business grows exponentially. So I look at things um, from fanatics being incredibly important coming to our industry 
bringing some norms back um, that I think are big for the end user and having the marketing muscle to get places where Panini and Tops have never been on Sports Center. And while Fanatics hasn't made a commercial specific to Sports Center, the actions that they're having are creating new stories that are worthy of having on ESPN. Uh, Michael Ripple was in our store, met with a girl that was collecting Devin Booker cards, whipped out his phone, FaceTimed Devin Booker. He answers, he talks to the girl. She's losing her mind. Um, it was best 60-second commercial ever in the history of this industry. Just impromptu. Gets her a jersey autograph. Gets in touch with her. Brings her to a Suns game. And gets Jeez. to meet Devin in person. Wow. Just this random little act that Michael did, visiting a card shop, created content and rabbit hole discussions down everywhere. And it was organic. The girl's in tears of joy. And I'm like, boom, you can do that. That's crazy. You can turn a Goldschmidt and Judge Common card into $20 store credit at your LCS. Yeah, that was huge. That you can have these patches that are one of ones that are worn. The, I mean, it's just like, that's crazy. Nothing like that has been done before. And that is without any real marketing muscle behind it. So I see the things that they're capable of doing. And all that does is drive business to storefronts. But those storefronts need to be able to do things that fanatics can't do. And when the guys from fanatics come through, and there's been a lot of them, I tell them the stores that you put the most resources behind have to be the stores that can say yes the most. Have to be able to be organized, be clean, have a web presence, be able to buy things back, be able to be you know friendly, have a wide selection, um, have community events, things of that nature. Because if they can't say yes to these things, fanatics can do it themselves. And if you're only doing what fanatics does, not adding value. If I'm Michael Rubin or if I'm Mike Mayhem, I'm like, we don't need you. We need people that can go above and beyond what we do already. And I think that's going to be a rude awakening for a lot of shops. Wow. I mean, your insight on a lot of this stuff is a little different and honestly fresh. I, I really like it. I, I like that you're not 100% positive that we're going to grow the hobby 10x. I mean, like, it's not a realistic thing in the sense of doing that in a healthy way anyway. But to hear your take on it as someone who's been in this for a very long time, I really appreciate it, Rob. Um, we do have a couple questions from our listeners. Would that be okay to throw a couple things by you? Uh, no. All <laughs> no, right. Well, course. there you go, listeners. <laughs> Thanks really quickly, because it is doable if it's not just adults we're doing it with. If we're getting 5X with the kids, that gets exponentially larger because they're going to be adults with their own kids within 15, 20 years. We get them started early and get them started the right way. Then that number becomes plausible. But it's all about the outreach to the kids and making sure this third wave that involves kids is done the right way. And I think I know how to do it. And I've been speaking with fanatics. And I think they have a better grasp on how to do it as well. But it starts grassroots and it starts with the kids. Then we could do exponential. It can't just be catering to the 45-year-old white dude. It has to be, it has to be wider than that. Absolutely. 
Okay, cool. Thank you, Rob, for clarifying that. Um, so a couple questions for you as pertaining to timing, uh, timing the market, I guess, a little bit. Brian Shome asked the question, when is the worst time to sell football? Do you guys have a seasonal schedule, buy-sell schedule? No, we're, we're 7365. Um, I, I don't know. I personally, sometimes when the sport isn't in session, things are more stabilized. Whereas during the season, a simple injury can crush a card. So I don't think off season's ne- necessarily the worst time to sell. Um, it's just, it's more stable. Um, it's a lot riskier during the season. And there's a lot less news stories on the guys that get hurt or aren't performing than the guys that are on fire and doing great things. So um, during the season, it's just riskier. Um, I think it's just more stable the rest of the year. And this market that we're in now, um, a lot of people look for safe havens because they're a little scared during basketball season. This guy got hurt. You know, this guy isn't performing. And you can see major drops during the season, whereas offseason, it's a lot more stable. And, you know, it's like the rookie class for football coming in. They're going to be a lot more popular because they haven't been on the field yet or not been on the field yet. Um, so, um, yeah, it's it just depends. I don't know. All right. All right. Fair enough. Brian, uh, fan Sith. Yeah, whatever. Uh, sorry, Brian. Uh, what is your biggest and best source of income through a brick and mortar shop? And he, he m- mentioned singles, packs, breaks, wax, memorabilia, anything else. What would you say? I, I don't think you can really say best income. I, I think it's just like, I'm going to go with singles. I mean, it's gotta <laughs> be singles for you yeah, guys, right? Gotta be. For us, it's singles. Um, okay. Just the shit, the cards that we sell in the course of the day would blow your mind, whether it's physically in here. Margins are better. Customer satisfaction is better. And I'm not competing against every local shop, every local show, every online seller. Um, it, it's definitely singles. And it's not all that close. And you combine our online with eBay and BurbankCards.com and it just becomes a blowout. Um, and I see that expanding over the years. Um, and I, I highly advise shop owners that are existing or people looking to get into the business to realize that your infrastructure for singles and your buying capabilities for singles is what's going to drive your business going forward. And uh, we're seeing it. I mean, it's we're usually the barometer for the industry. We're usually a couple months out ahead of people. And I can't stress it enough. Okay. Um, Tyler Rodriguez wants to know of the four big grading companies, I'm assuming he's meaning PSA, SGC, Beckett, and CSG. How much stock does your team put into the other companies when buying or trading? Those are raw cards with fancy holders. Okay. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> All right. Yep. All right. No, that's good enough. Um, there's another question. Uh, this is maybe more general to the our show, but I am curious what your take is. What's your take on Golden's Netflix show? Loved it. Yeah. L- loved it. My wife wanted to keep watching the next one. Um, we're, we do a lot of content. We are featured in a couple of large documentaries that haven't quite made it out yet. Um, people have, I mean, Ken's a polarizing figure in the industry. Um, and they're short, they're digestible, they make you a fly on the wall as to what's happening out there. Um, 
I love the fact that it was just six apps. Most were between 30 and 40 minutes. Anything that gets our industry into the mainstream is a positive thing. Um, it's just amazing to me that with the hyper growth of this industry, the sports, the celebrity, the industry people, that nothing yet had gotten to a mainstream platform, uh, streaming platform. That blows my mind. Um, I was at a party. Um, he had two parties, one on the West Coast, one on the East Coast. We went to the West Coast one. And the types of people that were there, Jimmy Kimmel, we were hanging out with him. Um, it just shone a huge spotlight on the industry. And um, I think we need more of that type of stuff. Highly produced. Um, it wasn't, you know, it could have it been cheesy. It could have been manipulated. I didn't see it that way. I saw it as kind of exciting. And, um, you know, that's just my take. Um, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I think you, you you have a very similar take to a lot of our listeners as well. Um, there's one last question. It's actually, I meant to ask you this personally before. I'm very curious in your shop after basketball, baseball, football, what is the next best selling sport, but also what's the best selling non-sport? Um, I'd have to go soccer. Um, I think that's next. Hockey would have been the answer four or five years ago in a heartbeat wouldn't have even hesitated to say it. Um, but it's definitely soccer as far as volume goes, as far as high end singles go. Um, but that is with a caveat. Hockey's just different. Baseball, basketball, football people, they collect seasonally. Um, they move out of things that they don't want. Hockey folks buy product and collect product and keep product. So we don't get as much as it coming back through. Because generally, if they're hockey people, they only collect hockey. And so there's a difference there that we're not in that two-way market in hockey like we might be other sports. Whereas people rip soccer and they hit the messy auto, they're in line to sell the card like right away. If you're doing hockey and you hit the big McDavid card, you're going home with it and it becomes a part of your PC. Um, so I think that's the differentiation with hockey. You would think it'd be number four, but it's not really all that close to soccer. Wow. Okay. And then what about uh, non-sport? We're not a huge non-sport store per se. Um, we have a little bit of gaming in here. We do have some unopened Pokemon and stuff. Um, it's just not really, it's a rounding error basically in our total revenue. Um, I, I, I'd have to say from a volume standpoint, anyways, Pokemon. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised that, that you guys haven't made room for a, a TCG like Pokemon or something like that to play a bigger part, especially with the younger audience. Cause I know of course, that's probably one of the biggest go-to collectibles for young kids is Pokemon cards or something similar, but um, yeah, uh, kind of surprised. It would be a bigger part if we did singles um, to be honest. We do more things. It's just, literally, it's just, I don't have enough. It, no, I just, I, I like to be jack of all, master of one more so than jack of all trades and do one thing at an incredibly high level instead of doing multiple things at an average level. And my passion just isn't there for that like it is everything else. So um, we have plenty of unopened product in here for them, but we don't have the tournaments and don't do the singles. They can do that elsewhere. Fair. Okay, cool. Uh, Mike, anything else from you? 
I have a baby appointment. I have to go to the doctors literally right now. So, <laughs> All Rob, right. it was great. Thank you for joining us, man. We appreciate the time. And, and yeah, great to hear like a different perspective on the singles and collectors game for sure. We appreciate it. All right. Rob Varis of Burbank Cards. That went longer than expected. And I totally forgot that Mike has to leave for that baby doctor appointment. So we have a couple things that I don't know if we're going to have time to get I'm, to. I have to leave right now. Literally. Yeah. So okay. I'm going to let you close it out. You're in capable hands with Jesse Gibson. Oh, I'm going to leave. Oh, I get to update you guys then. All right, Mike, be safe. <laughs> <laughs> See you, bud. Um, okay, that went longer than expected. As mentioned, I apologize for that. But there are a couple things we did want to at least update you on from the show last week. Evan Mathis, the whole trimming situation. There is a one detail that has come to light that I think is interesting. I'm not sure if this is brand new. This may have already been in place. But so some people ask, like, is PSA going to make comments about what happened, you know, with, with all those statements that Evan made, uh, whether you believe what Evan was saying, that there are so many cards, some of these, so many vintage cards that are graded that actually have been trimmed or altered in some way. You know, there was a lot of back and forth of contradiction in some of those statements. So who's to say for sure if any, what parts were 100% legit? So of course, I don't think we've seen anything from PSA outright saying, you know, they disagree or anything like that. They're probably just ignoring it. However, one thing that did come to light was that the, the buyback guarantee that PSA offers on their graded cards for things that were graded uh, that had actually been altered uh, or trimmed or something like that. That was kind of like some of the security measures that we talked about that PSA, it was a good thing they had that stuff in place. The only thing that was interesting is that in each, this is the, the wording they have on their site. It says, in each case of a guarantee claim, there is a per card cap of $250,000 and a lifetime cap of $500,000 per person. PSA will not pay guarantee claims in excess of the maximum amount. Something interesting. That used to be, there used to be no cap on that. I don't know when that changed. So we're not saying that they changed because of all of this or anything like that. It's just interesting that we're talking about some of the most expensive cards in the world possibly being trimmed and then graded. And now we're also finding out, again, could be a coincidence though, uh, but we're finding out that the there is a, now a cap on those cards and what PSA will guarantee back to you. So Wanted to make sure audience was aware of that little piece of information. Um, we also heard through the grapevine that Rob Go, who uh, later on bought the Evan Mathis mantle card uh, for, I believe, $5.2 million, has since sold that card. Not sure who he sold it to. There's no news about it. But again, um, through some back channels, heard that he has sold that PSA 9 mantle. So... Again, couple questions answered from some uh, some of the listeners. And guys, I apologize. We do have uh, we have a pretty decent mailbag, so I'm going to try and get to it next week. Or I'm sorry, on Thursday with Mike. There's also Panini Donruss Optic Basketball. We'll get to talk more about. And the only other thing that we were really going to mention was that Bleacher Breaks did come out with a response. Um, finally, we broke that story. I think couple of weeks ago, this just saying what the situation was, the one-of-one waddle being uh, not going to the correct owner. If you go out and check it, see for yourselves what you think. 
I think Mike and I both had the same responses. Very surprised that they're trying to make amends. And we will be surprised of how many people actually go back to them. Uh, just because there was not, they kind of, I feel like they missed that window to make a correction to what the general consensus of the hobby was at that time, which was that they were taking advantage of or stealing people's cards. Whether that actually happened or not, that's just what the evidence looks like. And they seems like they missed the opportunity to say something then and waited two weeks to put out this statement, which overall just seems a little less than they could have. So be, you know, be your own sleuth, look into it yourself, come to your own conclusions. That's it. All right. Now we'll go ahead and end the show out again. Thanks to Rob. Thanks to Mike, who's usually here to do this. So I'm going to butcher it. I'm sure. But this is, oh God, hang on, hang on, hang on. I got this. I got this. I got this. Okay. Thank you for listening to the show. This is sports cards. Nonsense. Brought to you by The Ringer, powered by Spotify. We will be back on Thursday. We do have another guest. Card Ladder is going to be joining us. Chris, he is going to be going over a few basketball updates as well, as well as overall hobby index numbers. We look forward to seeing you then. This is Sports Boy. I love you so much. Good night.